This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning. I am Pastor Ronnie Garcia. It's good to be with you. I am super pumped because um, today we are starting a sermon series on the book of Acts. Now, officially, Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but dare I say that it could be called the Acts of Jesus Christ. See, Acts is the second volume of a two-volume compendium that Luke wrote. Wrote. So in other words, uh, Luke was uh, the Apostle Paul's traveling companion for a time. And, uh, and so he writes first the Gospel of Luke. And there we see Jesus' ministry on earth. And then Acts picks up the second part. And guess what? We still see the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in fact, what we're going to find here in the very first verse of our passage that we're going to read here together. He says, Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Like he, he just began. He hasn't even finished yet. And then, of course, in Acts, then, we see that Jesus' work is not done. It's being unfolded through the Holy Spirit. And that, in fact, the best part is still to come. Now, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? And, uh, and, and it's interesting because what we're going to see today is that Jesus is taken up. He's ascended into heaven like he's at God's right hand, and he's not there. Now, I want you to think about the series of events, right? Okay, so 40 days before, prior to Acts chapter 1, 40 days prior, Jesus was tried, crucified, died, and he was buried. On the third day, he was resurrected. Now, uh, well, on the third day, what happened is Mary Magdalene goes to the grave, goes to the tomb to complete the burial processes and preparations. When she gets there, she realized that the, the stone has been removed and the grave was empty. And so she runs off and she reports this to the two of the disciples. And uh, she says to them, she's like, hey, they've taken him. They've taken our Lord. And so the two disciples, Peter and John, they run back to investigate. They check it out and they confirm what had happened. And so they go home, but not Mary. She stays and she's just hanging there right outside the tomb, weeping, weeping. And then these two angels appeared and they say, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Now, when she said this, she turns around, and there's Jesus standing there. But there's this kind of newness, and she didn't recognize him. She thought that he was the gardener. And she says, just tell me what you did with him. And all Jesus had to say was, Mary. And when she heard her name, it's, it, she recognized him. It, it was that voice she knew. It was like, um, it's like the homecoming of a father who's a soldier who goes off to war and the family gets mistakenly like a death notice. And, and, and he's coming back and the family sees him and they're just overwhelmed. I mean, Mary just did not know what happened. And so she just ran, runs to him, just clings to him. I mean, just presses her head into his chest. She's with him. She never wanted to lose him ever again. Because his resurrection was amazing. And she didn't want to let her beloved friend and Savior out of her sight ever again. 
But Jesus says, Mary, do not cling to me. You have to let me go. I have not ascended to the Father, but I will. And it's going to be even more amazing. It's as if he's saying, you have to let me go. I must ascend. But you are actually going to get more of me, not less of me. The amazing things that you've seen have just barely begun, Mary. Now, strangely, letting go of Jesus would be the best thing that happened to her and all of the disciples. And do you see the paradox? Jesus will be absent physically, and yet they're going to get more of Jesus. More of him. How? That's how the story of Acts begins in chapter 1. The absence of Jesus means the presence of the Spirit. And Jesus is not only going to teach about the kingdom of God, which he did in his earthly ministry, but now he's going to institute it. And that's, that's what Acts is all about. The Acts of the Apostles is really the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Apostles by the Spirit. And so this morning we're going to study this opening prelude, prelude in Acts chapter 1. And it's going to set the stage for this explosion of the gospel that we're going to see unfolded through the book of Acts as we study it together. Now, in order to understand what happens in these next 27 chapters, we, gotta, we have to get our, our brain around this paradox of Jesus being absent in body but present in spirit. Uh, why would Jesus say, you know, that if, that if you think his life and resurrection was amazing, the best is yet to come, why would he say that? And so what I want to do is I want to answer that question in three ways. And so if you're a note taker, we're going to see that Jesus introduced to us a bigger mission, a bigger power, and a bigger love. So a bigger mission, a bigger power, and a bigger love. And with that, let's give ourselves to the reading of God's word. Would you stand with me? We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the first 11 verses. Here now. The very words of God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me from John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, these words abide forever. May he bless it for you and me. Amen. You may be seated. So it was not long ago uh, with the team, uh, the staff here, we're going through this exercise and I very specifically looked at various mission statements from, you know, companies just that exist out there in the world. Now, one of them stood out. It was the mission statement of Starbucks. All right, can I read to you the mission statement of Starbucks? Starbucks says that they exist to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. Whoa, and I thought it was just about like making coffee, right? Like I thought it was just about like increasing shareholder wealth, right? One cup at a time. It's bigger than that, isn't it? It's bigger than that. Well, what is the uh, mission statement of the church? Get them saved and let the rest burn. Or get saved and then squeeze as much as you can out of this life, minimize suffering, and then you die. Is that what it is? No. That's gross, y'all. Don't talk like that. That's gross. What we see right in this passage is that the mission statement of the church goes through this language of being witnesses. Witnesses. So in our passage, what we're seeing is the church being populated with witnesses, and they're being called out of the shadows to participate in this holy work of the renewal of all things. And so Jesus, he's the one who uses this language. Look there in verse 8. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. Now that verse, verse 8, is like a table of contents for what actually happens in the book of Acts, right? So Acts has 28 chapters. Verses, or chapters 1 through 7 is the spirit and the work in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 is Judea and Samaria. And then chapter 13 through the end, through chapter 28, is the gospel and the work of the Spirit going through to the end of the world, the end of the world, end of the known world. Now, what I want you to notice from that one little verse is just the sheer scope of this mission. Because while Jesus was on the earth, listen, you guys, he never traveled farther than 100 miles from the place that he was born. He didn't go far. But now, Jesus, through the agency of his witnesses, he's going to go to all of creation with gospel renewal through his people. And it's interesting because the inclination and the impulse is to make Jesus' mission smaller. As if to say, Starbucks is just about the coffee, right? It's not. So look there, verse 6, right? We even see the disciples saying it. Jesus, right, he's been making these visitations for 40 days, similar to the one that he had with Mary Magdalene. And they asked him, they said, Lord, verse 6, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is that the mission? Right? And so they thought that the Messiah had these, like, nationalistic aspirations. He's supposed to overthrow Rome. He's, he's supposed to make Israel great again. Did y'all get that? No? All right, all right. I'm just making dumb jokes here. I try, y'all. Um, but the, 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 restore Israel, right, to, uh, uh, to the days of, like, what it was like under the rule of David, their greatest king. That's what they thought the mission was. It's interesting, the great theologian John Calvin, he says, there is as much wrong with that sentence as there are words in it. It's a mess. Why? 
Because the mission of God is to institute the kingdom of God over everything that God has made. And what all has God made? Just a little bit of real estate in the Middle East? No. He wants all of it. Politics is way too small and uninteresting of a mission. He wants more than that. Now think about it. What, when Jesus walked this earth, what was his primary mes- message? Every parable that he taught, every miracle of healing that he performed, every sermon that he preached was about one thing. What was it? The kingdom of God. He was announcing God's gracious rule over everything. God's rule. Now, it's really, Trinity, it's important that y'all kind of get your brains around this. God's rule is not about restricting people. It's about helping them to flourish, right? It's, it's to make people to be who they're supposed to be, who they're destined to be. It's to remake the whole world by defeating evil. Jesus is all about mending and restoring and healing and remaking the whole world. And this kingdom has an unelected king, Jesus Christ, right? Remember, Christ is a title, King Jesus, Christ Jesus. He's the king. So how is Jesus going to remake Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even the ends of the world? How's he going to do it? Through witnesses. All right, what's a witness, you guys? What's a witness? A witness is just a person who says, hey, I witnessed it. I, I saw it for myself. I've experienced it. I'm just a witness someone who testifies to someone. And so witnesses are going to every part of God's creation and giving testimony. Now, here's what I want you to know is that the, the message of the gospel and what we see in Acts, it actually happened, y'all. Like it worked. Think about this, y'all. We are the ends of the earth, right? We're 21st century English-speaking non-Jew Christians who received the gospel, aren't we? Like, it happened. It worked. It came to us. And what happens is, and so what happens is when we receive it, we're essentially receiving, they're passing the baton. And so the church is a group of people who understand themselves as just being sent for the sake of the world through witnesses, right? When a witness arrives into a community, people should say, wow, there's restoration and there's wholeness and flourishing because of these people. That's what they work for. It's crazy. See, God's people are agents of his redeeming purposes wherever they find themselves. And so, are you a witness? Like, what does your life witness to? What does your life testify to? What do people find when they find us? The resurrection of Jesus is a promise note that all things can be restored and mended through his gracious rule. And so does your life testify in part to this restoration. Can you say, you know, I, I used to live my life one way, 
But Jesus is the king, and now the meaning of my life is found when I imitate my king, and, and it's poured out for others. Why? Because I just, I belong to Jesus, and I'm just testifying to that. And, and not only, it's not only like internally, not just our hearts, but everything about us, right? Does your life testify that the kingdom of God has come? Or, are, or is it just about a cup of coffee, right? Is it just the coffee, if you were born here in Puerto Rico, do you say, I was born here because God sent me to Puerto Rico? Or is it just an accident? If you were sent here, if you got an assignment, you're like, man, I'm just passing time, right? No, no, no. Or do you say, no, 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 I was actually sent to Puerto Rico to advance the kingdom of God. And in your homes, is there still room at your table for another. Is there, do you make room in your, in your home? Is there a bed available for the other to show gracious hospitality? Is there margin in your calendars and your finances for the other? What does it testify to? What does it witness to? All those ordinary things, that's how the early church did it, you guys. Ordinary people witnessing with their lives that God's gracious rule heals and mends and restores everything. It's a bigger mission than just making coffee. All right, so so far we talked about Jesus being absent in body but present in spirit and how that's better because it creates a bigger mission, but there's more. It also creates, this is my second point, a bigger power. Now, I've talked about uh, Dunkirk in one of my sermons before, uh, mostly because I like Christopher Nolan movies. But if you'll remember, after the Battle of France, the Allied forces get pinned up against northern uh, France, and the Germans have them surrounded, and they're about to extinguish them. And there's this, uh, what they called Operation Dynamo, this huge seaborne evacuation. It's really interesting because just this week, we uh, commemorated, right, September 11th. And what happened after the towers went down? I mean, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are fleeing for their lives. But, the, but the, the tunnel and the bridges were closed. So people couldn't get off. And so the Coast Guard is looking at all the resources they have available. They realize they cannot rescue all of these people from the, uh, uh, and, and ship them across the Hudson. So a Coast Guard captain gets on and he says, anyone, anyone who has a vessel... Come help. And sure enough, hundreds and hundreds of not just Coast Guard boats, but like merchant marines and ferries and tugboats and, and fishing vessels. I mean, everyone just starts showing up. And it ends up being the largest, half a million people, the largest seaborne evacuation we've ever seen. It's incre- it was incredible. And what captures my imagination about the whole story is the guy who hears, you know, who hears the call over the radio, and he says, like, what do I have? Like, I'm no one. I'm, I'm just like, all I have is a small fishing boat. All right, I'm in. I'm in. Let's go. You know, cross the Hudson. It's incredible. And, and this, this rescue happened not by hardened, trained soldiers, it was just ordinary people. It was just ordinary people. Think about how daunting of a task that was. 
Well, think about how daunting of a task Jesus is giving to his disciples. Right after the resurrection, we learn there from verse 3 that Jesus had been visiting his disciples for about 40 days, right? And so right at the end, he has 120, listen, 120 of his disciples. And these guys have, they're nobodies. They have no political clout. They are no one important. And, and Jesus is like, all right, team, gather around. Let's bring it in, bring it in. It's like, you are my witnesses through you, through you. We're going to just change the whole world. What? <laughs> like what? I mean, it seems to me that Jesus stood a better chance of changing the whole world if he would have come to Trinity Church. Now I'm serious. Like we're about the same size. We're about 120 of us. And just saying, hey, through you, we're going to just change the whole world. Because we, although we're the same size, Unlike them, we have means, we have technology, we have education, we have savvy, right? I, I mean, could you imagine Jesus saying to us, hey, just you guys, 120, we're going to change the whole world. The message went to them. And you can tell that the purpose and the task was way too big for their ability. Way too big. So how did God do it? It's a bigger power. He gave them the Holy Spirit. Now, next week in chapter 2, we're actually going to study the details of, of that. But what we have here in this prelude in the first 11 verses is this promise. See, in the text this morning, in verse 4, right, Jesus says, Guys, y'all wait here in Jerusalem. And, and, what he, and then he goes on to cite this conversation that was had earlier with John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, where John the Baptist is saying, Yeah, I baptize with water, but one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, Right? And then they're recounting that in verse 8. Look there in verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know that this is a daunting task. And I know that you only have a small little fishing boat. But I got you. I got you. You're not even the main show. You're just a vessel for the power of the Holy Spirit to work through you. God is boarding our boats, y'all. Are y'all right? Is that okay with you? Like, is that okay with you? Again, we're going to say more about this next week, but what I want to bring to your attention is how ordinary this is. Uh, most of us, when we think about the power of the Holy Spirit, we usually think of it in terms of huge, miraculous experiences. And if that's true, most of us then don't get it, right? Most of us, right? But that's not true. The Holy Spirit is indeed coursing through you. Listen, if you've ever said, my anger has to change, I have to change, and then you change, that's powerful. If you ever say, I have to open up my heart to the poor, and then you open up your heart to the poor, that is powerful. If, if you say, I've got to hold my possessions more loosely, and then you, you hold your possessions more loosely, that is powerful. If you say, oh my gosh, this is so uncomfortable, but I have to pray for my enemies. I got to like, intercede for my enemies. And then you pray for your enemies? Who does that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. That's the Holy Spirit coursing through you. It feels 
ordinary, but that has the presence of God and his rule all over it. I mean, the whole world as we know was, had been taking, like the, the spirit had been taking over these strongholds and, and bringing healing and mending. And in fact, history shows this, like every orphanage, every hospital, every time there's justice in the sex trade industry, that's the Holy Spirit, that's the kingdom coming. Y'all, those 120 average to below average disciples set the world on fire. And we're benefiting today, from it today. John Stott, the great theologian, he says, power in God's kingdom is different from power in human kingdoms. The reference to the Holy Spirit defines its nature. The kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, and by the work of the Spirit, not by force of arms, or political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. And that Holy Spirit, Trinity, listen, I need you to believe this, is raging and coursing through you. Even with our small boats, we can be a force to be reckoned with, not not because of anything in us, but because the Holy Spirit is working through us, you see. Because Jesus was absent in body, we get something better. He was present in spirit, and we get a deeper experience of him through the spirit. We get a deeper, a bigger power. All right, let me just summarize. So this morning, we're looking at this strange and divine paradox, right? Jesus is absent, will be absent in body, but even still, against all intuitions, we get something better. We get a bigger mission right? It's not just in Jerusalem. It's, it's, the scope is bigger, and we get a bigger power through the Holy Spirit. And finally, and I'll use this as my conclusion, we get a bigger love. So last week, we recited the Apostles' Creed together, right? It is the custom of Trinity Church, the first Sunday of every Uh, of every month to recite the Apostles' Creed. This is what Christians have believed in every culture and every language. It's just like the core beliefs. For 2,000 years, I've been saying these same things. And and if you read it, the the Apostles' Creed carefully, it recounts very carefully the life of Jesus Christ, right? He's born of a virgin, suffered, died, he was buried. On the third day, he rose again. And then it very conspicuously says... He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. No one ever talks about this, right? I mean, we have like Advent and Christmas to commemorate Jesus' birthday. We have Lent and Good Friday to commemorate his suffering and his death. And then, of course, we have Easter, which is like commemorating. It is what our whole church calendar revolves around, the resurrection. But the ascension, Jesus going up, gets like no press. Like, right? We don't ever talk about it. It's hard to know the relevance of the ascension. And yet, the ascension is the climax of chapter 1. Look there in verse 9. He says, When he said these things, as they were looking on, he, Jesus, was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
Now, this shouldn't have been too much of a surprise because Jesus himself says in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says to, he's looking his disciples in the eyes and he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus already talked about this, right? Now, what, what, what could Jesus possibly mean? I mean, what advantage are we talking about? Let me suggest to you that our experience of love is what is at stake here. He's giving us a bigger experience of love. And here are three ways. When Jesus was resurrected, and, and, and Zach was alluding to this in our liturgy, he resurrected with a body, right? Jesus didn't just turn into a ghost, right? After the resurrection, he's still having breakfast with his buddies. He's like, Thomas, come over here. Put your finger right in there, right? Like, we're feeling him, right? He's, he's, he's a person. He's really, he's a body. And, and, and when he is ascending, he's ascending with a body. He has gone with our humanity where we were meant to go, Right? In the presence of God. Don't think of this. When it talks about Jesus ascending, don't think of it in terms of geography. Think about it in terms of being present with God. Just like Adam and Eve were present bodily with God in the garden. Right? With hair and hands and fingernails and two feet and two eyes. Right? Jesus, in every respect, was like us. He took, he took our humanity back into the presence of God. What was lost in the garden, you guys, is being restored, right? We're getting back into the presence. It's happening. What, what all went wrong in the garden is now being overturned. It's happening. But here's a second experience. While Jesus is present with God, while he's with God, present with him, he is offering worship and obedience that we should be offering, but we, but we don't, right? We can't even barely floss our teeth, right? We, we keep our stuff to ourselves. We, we don't open up our hearts to others. But Jesus is doing everything and has done everything we were supposed to do. And so when an accusation comes our way to the Father, Jesus is there and he is making an airtight case on your behalf and he is perfectly offering his righteousness, his holiness, and, our, and, and his obedience on our behalf. He lives to intercede for us Jesus stands by the Father speaking your name. I just want you to think about that for a second. Jesus is by the Father speaking your name. And lastly, because Jesus ascended, then we have his spirit, which means that when Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth, He's not just saying a cute little thing. He, he, he means it. He is with us, even at the ends of the earth. He means it. It's, it's not just a nice thing that he's saying. And so when the disciples, I want you to think about this. When the disciples were with Jesus, and Jesus was still in his earthly ministry, if they left his presence to go get, pick up lunch or run an errand, they were away from Jesus. They actually did spend time away from Jesus. 
But now, with the Holy Spirit, even when we run errands and pick up lunch, (laughs) Jesus is still with us. We never leave his presence. You get that? We get Jesus by virtue of the agency of the Holy Spirit who's coursing through us. Listen, when you ask the question, does God actually care about me? Does he care about my situation? Like, are you hearing that? Does, does he care about my situation, like the actual details of my life? We get a new experience and a deeper love. One time, one of my daughters was feeling really discouraged, and she says to me, I don't feel like praying. It doesn't seem to change anything. Have you ever said that? And I didn't have the words that day, but you know what I wish I would have said to her? I would have said, baby, even when you are weary and discouraged, Jesus keeps praying. He never stops saying your name. And when an entire people just are absolutely convinced of that, convinced that Christ is working through us through the Holy Spirit, that's when the whole world gets turned upside down. And we can be a part of that. Make no mistake, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and when it says that he ascended, doesn't mean he just went up. It means that he ascended the throne. He is enthroned. He is reigning. His kingdom is going forward with a bigger mission, with a bigger power, and with a bigger love. So let's, you and I, let's do what we were called to do. We've been sent to be witnesses to God's gracious reign and to participate in mending and restoring and healing his world now and then forever. Amen.